Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You ready for the high gas prices? Apparently they're coming. Hello, welcome to the program. I am Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA right here in the nation's capital. We've got gas prices going up across the country. We've got, um, huh, I love this, city councilors in Ottawa expensing tickets to the NHL 100 outdoor classic game. They're going to repay the money. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Uh, We'll talk about why Facebook is the problem and not this company that everyone's talking about. Ah, Donald Trump, boo, bad, boo, hiss. Wait a minute. Obama did the same thing, but he's awesome. Obama's awesome. Obama was wonderful. And shocker. A Quebec town bans public smoking, the most statist place on the planet, bans smoking anywhere outside. Uh, There's some days, before I get into talking about the summer jobs program, there are some days, especially walking around office buildings, where I wish that they would bring back smoking in office buildings, because then I don't have to go inside to get fresh air. You know what I'm talking about. You're walking down the street. Everyone's huddled around the door. They're smoking. There's probably smoking right next to a sign that says no smoking within nine meters of this building. But yeah. Quebec town of Hampstead used to live right next to it. They've banned smoking anywhere in public. It's the new values test. We keep being told there's no values and then everyone's got values. You just got to have the right values, the right progressive values, the right, the values that align with Justin Trudeau or the progressive cause. And I know some of you don't like that I use the word progressive. Well, they're, they're not progressives. They're regressives. Yeah, True. True, absolutely true, but they call themselves progressives, and I want to keep calling them that so that people know that there is nothing progressive about them. On Facebook, uh, Deborah is asking me about Lead Now and their foreign funding of Canadian elections. Deborah, make sure you're joining us in about an hour's time because I've got the expert on that coming on. Vivian Krause is going to join me. But right now I want to talk about... Justin Trudeau's values test. Remember when Kelly Leach was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party? And she said that we should have a values test for potential immigrants. And the political class and the media, all the lefties lost their collectivist little minds. They lost their collectivist little minds. They couldn't stand that Kelly Leach said, let's have a values test for people that want to come to this country. And what were the values that she said we should screen for? Well, do you support freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression? All the things that uh, they're right at the top of. What's that document called? Liberals love it, except when you invoke it, then they pretend it doesn't exist. Um Justin's dad had something. Oh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. All those things that are right at the top of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That's what Kelly Leach wanted to test for. 
and she was denounced for it. She was a racist. She was a bigot. How dare you? Justin Trudeau actually said, we don't have values. Now, he goes, there are no Canadian values. He goes around talking about Canadian values nonstop. Nonstop. But if a conservative invokes Canadian values, that's a dog whistle. That's racist. That's evil. Yet today I'm talking to representative of a charity here in Ottawa, a charity I've worked with before. And now it happens to be a Christian group. It happens to be a Catholic group. They help families in need. That's all they do. They don't walk in and start throwing holy water all over the place. They don't walk in and start saying, hey, you've got to become a Catholic. You've got to be baptized. Do you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? They don't do any of that. There's no saying of the rosary, forcing people to get down on their knees and say 10 Hail Marys. None of that. They help give them the little things in life that so many of us take for granted. And this group last year got four grants for four summer students to help them. It's primarily a, they've got a small budget and a small staff and a lot of volunteers. But each year since I've known them, they've hired about four summer students who hired them for various number of hours. But the government under Justin Trudeau has really been pushing to get more summer job grant money out the door. They wanted to offer more hours, more experience until this year. And this year, they want to have less experience in some ways. Why? What am I talking about? What do I mean? Well, they came out with a rule that said if you wanted to apply for the summer job program, then you had to agree that your organization supported abortion as a right, which it's not. It's not covered in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The Supreme Court case that struck down the Morgenthaler laws or the Morgenthaler case that struck down the abortion laws did not do what Roe v. Wade did in the States. It did not make abortion a right. But yet, to get the summer job grant, your organization has to say both the job and the organization's core mandate respect individual human rights in Canada including the values underlying the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms as well as other rights. These include reproductive rights and the right to be free of discrimination on the basis of sex, religion, race, national or ethnic origin, color, uh, mental or physical disability, sexual orientation, and gender identity or expression. And yet what are they doing? They are, by saying you've got to sign on to that, they are discriminating against religion, religious groups, not just Catholics, not just Christians. But also, Muslims, Jews, Sikhs have all spoken out against this. You've never seen such a multi-faith canopy of Canadians coming forward and saying, this is wrong, we reject it. Well, what kind of numbers are we talking about here? Well, the organization that I'm talking about, they applied the old-fashioned way. They said, we're not going to sign off on that. If you applied online, you couldn't even apply unless you agreed that you support abortion. So what did this group do? They did what many did. 
They printed off the forms. They did it the old-fashioned way. They filled it out by hand. They mailed it in. And they've just received their copy back saying, you have 10 days to resubmit your application attesting that you support abortion or you can't get your job grant. So this organization is not counted in these figures. New figures from Brian Platt at the National Post reports that in 2017, the government received 41,961 applications for Canada summer jobs. Of those, 199 were later withdrawn by the employer, and 126 files were rejected for problems with the application. 41,961, only 126 rejected. This year, with a lot more emphasis by the government, again, they've been trying to drive up these numbers for years, 42,647 applications, 55 withdrawn by the employer, 1,561 were rejected. And that doesn't include all the folks that are getting letters in the mail, like the organization I spoke to today. This is Justin Trudeau's new values test. This is what he spoke out against with Kelly Leach, except Kelly Leach just said, do you believe in freedom of religion? Do you believe in equality? Do you believe in freedom of expression? See, to Justin Trudeau, that's not worth protecting. Protecting a right that doesn't exist is. Now, yesterday, in the House of Commons, the Conservatives put forward a motion, and quite frankly, it was a rather mild motion. Because the motion didn't say that this should be withdrawn completely, that the government ideal of saying we're not going to fund groups that are opposed to abortion, they didn't say that. And this all started because a group that is opposed to abortion, a pro-life activist group, got funding. And the liberal government found out about it because one of the reporters up on the Hill, and there's many who are obsessed with this, and I'm not talking me, I'm talking about people that are obsessed with finding every pro-lifer they can and punishing them. They're members of the press gallery. They said uh, in their uh, motion that groups that engage in non-political, non-activist work should be able to access the summer jobs program regardless of whether they sign the attestation. So the the conservatives didn't say, give the activist group their, their funding back. They just said... If it's not, if this is not what they do, not their job, then they should still be able to get this. Trudeau and the liberals say, no, no, it's only if your core mandate is about this. But what you're asking groups to do is violate their core principles by saying, yes, I agree to abortion on demand at any time. Almost every New Democrat and Liberal MP stood to vote against it, save Scott Sims, a Liberal from Newfoundland, and the NDP's David Christofferson, who was my dad's MP for years, city councillor down in Hamilton and a great guy. By the way, Elizabeth May also voted with the Conservatives. So Scott Sims, a Liberal, David Christofferson, a New Democrat, and Green Party leader Elizabeth May stood for the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The rest of the NDP and the Liberals stood against it. 
As I said, they were all against Kelly Leach using the charter as a values test for coming into Canada. But they're using invented rights under the guise of the charter to punish groups. So there will be fewer kids that will get job experience. There will be charities like the one I'm telling you about in Ottawa. They don't want me using their name or describing them, but they help the poorest of the poor in this city and give them a little lift, a little spark in their life and give them something they wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. And they're being shut down. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know how they'll find the funding. They may be doing fundraising beyond, above and beyond what they normally have to do, and they do fundraising already. They may be looking to more volunteers, and it's primarily a volunteer-driven organization. But there's going to be fewer kids getting that job experience this summer at organizations like this one and right across Ottawa and right across Ontario and right across Canada because Justin Trudeau can't handle someone opposing him and opposing his views, and having a different view. Isn't it sad that that's what we've come to with our current government? Stick around for the rest of the show. We've got a good one for you. Coming up just after 7.30, we're going to speak to a a professor from Brock University who has warnings about how cozy this government's getting with China, especially when it comes to your cell phone. We're all worried about Facebook and the U.S. election. What about China having access to our 5G network and your cell phone. Should you be worried? Uh, Charles Burton's going to tell us why the answer is yes. We'll talk to Vivian Krauss just after 8 on the issue of foreign funding in our elections, and you won't believe what the Liberals are doing on that now. They're, basically, it's a hard no. And uh, we'll also talk more about this issue of Facebook and why really it's only an issue because of Trump, because I'll explain to you what you can do with Facebook already. Who knows? Maybe I've targeted you. I'll explain all of that as someone that's used Facebook on the business level for years. In between, a lot more. I'm sure we'll find other stuff to talk about. You can listen to the rest of the show at CFRA.com or on the iHeartRadio app. Download it today. Always free, Apple or Android. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Ryan Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Now, the number one story you need to know right now. Let's go local, local, local. And I started talking about this at the end of the show last night. Yeah, some brainiacs down at Ottawa City Hall thought it'd be a good idea to have all the councillors run on giving more money to Orga World. Orga <gasps> uh, World, Orga World, Orga World. This, that name, doesn't it make you go, ugh? Horrible contract. What, 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 what? Well, they're going to revamp the green bin program and you will be able to put dog poop in it and plastic bags and all kinds of stuff like that. It's only going to cost you an extra 15 cents. It's less than a cup of coffee a day. 
Everything's measured in cups of coffee, apparently. David Chernyshenko, chair of the committee, the Environment Committee, overlooking this, telling CTV News he thinks it's a good thing. We hopes it'll encourage more people to use the green bins. We really do need people participating. We may actually have the province mandating no organic materials into the landfill uh, in a few years' time. But even if it isn't mandatory, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. So does giving people compost bins instead of green bins. But, hey, they rejected that idea. Um, look, this was a bad program to start with, and now we're talking about putting more money into it. Call me a skeptic. Story number two, the liberals have introduced a gun control bill that does nothing to control the guns that are being used to shoot up the streets of Ottawa. 22 shootings so far this year, eight homicides. And what does this bill do? It brings up more paperwork for people that go to the shooting range, people that go hunting. But don't worry, Justin Trudeau and his public safety minister, Ralph Goodale, say this is about respecting law-abiding firearms owners. And Goodale says, you've you've heard this clip today. Well, I have to play it for you so I can tell you the reality. Goodale says crime rates have generally been on the decline for a decade, but offenses involving firearms are bucking that trend. They have become more prevalent especially since 2013. There were almost 2,500 criminal incidents involving firearms in Canada in 2016. That was up by 30% since 2013. Gun homicides are up by two-thirds. What a load of crap. Now, it's true that gun homicides are up by two-thirds, but do you know why Ralph Goodale is using the metric of 2013 is a starting point because that is the lowest year between 2005 and 2016. The last year we have stats for it is the lowest year. It's also the full uh, the first full year without the, the gun registry. We had 134 homicides involving a firearm that year. 2005, the last year the liberals were in power when there was a full gun registry, 224 homicides. I'll get more into those stats later on. But Ralph is selling you a line there. Story number three, we got a lot of politicians worried about Facebook, which is funny because they all use Facebook to target you. But now they're worried that Facebook has the ability to distort the outcome of elections and it needs to be held to a higher account. Here's the NDP's Charlie Angus. We need to look at this in the much larger context of the power, the growing power of organizations, companies like Facebook uh, that seem to see themselves as above uh, national law. I want to know how much the NDP, the Liberals and the Conservatives all paid to micro-target you on Facebook in the last election. I'll explain why this is a bogus story later on. Not that it doesn't happen, but that all the people complaining about it are also doing it. They're complaining about it because of the guy that comments on story number four, this bizarre story out of Austin, Texas, uh, where another bomb, this one in a FedEx distribution center in San Antonio, Texas, was headed, uh, was supposed to be sent, I believe, to Austin, where all these other bombs have been going off. President Trump commenting on it today at a a luncheon in Washington. This is obviously a very, very sick individual or maybe individuals. These are sick people and we will get to the bottom of it. Uh, The package was addressed to an Austin home. It had been sent 
from Austin as well. Uh, There was a second bomb at the facility that hadn't exploded. Just bizarre. And story number five, gas prices could go up by as much as 10 cents later this week to an average of $1.35.9 in Quebec. Well, that's about what we'd be paying. I was putting gas in the car the other day. It was up at a buck twenty-six. It's been fluctuating between a buck fourteen and a buck twenty-five the last little while, but it could be going up. WatchGasBuddy.com, and um, you know they get the free ads because they actually have the prices and figure out if it's going up in your area. Has it gone already? Is it worth filling up now? My name's Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk to Professor Charles Burton about why we need to be worried about China getting involved in providing our cell phones and cell phone service. That's next. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. Do you ever watch uh, Hockey Night in Canada? I'm not talking the Sens on TSN. I'm talking, you know, the Saturday night game on that other network. If you do, if you're watching Ron and Don Cherry and Elliot and all the boys sit around talking about hockey, what do you see down below the desk? You see you see one symbol at every turn, Huawei. It's a Chinese company, and they make, um, among other things, cell phones. In fact, you can buy their cell phones here in Canada. You can go into uh, pretty much any cell phone provider. And you can walk out with a Huawei phone. You can you can buy them unlocked. They're around. They also make back-end technology. And I remember years ago when the conservatives were still in power, there were warnings that they shouldn't be using Huawei technology inside the government of Canada. And that kind of went unheeded. Now they're looking at having Huawei have an even greater impact and greater um, play, I guess you could say, inside Canada's telecommunication system. These guys provide a lot of back-end telecom services. They don't just make smartphones. They provide the equipment that runs the system. Well, down in the United States, the CIA, the FBI, National Security Agency, and the Defense Intelligence Agency recently told the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee that Huawei is a cybersecurity threat to American customers. Here in Canada... Ward Elcock, former head of CSIS, John Adams, former head of the Canadian Security Establishment, and Richard Fadden, former head of CSIS and former National Security Advisor to Prime Ministers Harper and Trudeau, told the Globe and Mail, yeah, they are a a threat. They are a potential threat to Canada, and we should be worried. I want to bring on Charles Burton now. He is an associate professor of political science at Brock University in St. Catharines, Ontario, And one of his specialties is government and politics of China and Canada-China relations. Professor Burton, thanks for the time. Good evening, Brian. You know, a lot of people think, well, we already have a lot of stuff from China in our homes. They make our TVs. They make our iPhones. They make everything. So what's the problem here? 
Well, I think that one always has to be concerned when critical infrastructure is being made by companies whose organogram, like Huawei's, has the Chinese Communist Party branch at the top and the and the you know the CEO and so on down below. So, uh, you know, China is a state that has uh, a lot of state business, and Huawei, while it's technically considered a collective, they don't say it's a private company, they don't say it's a Chinese state company. They call themselves a collective. But um, they receive considerable Chinese state funding. The the head of Huawei, uh, Ren Zhengfei, uh, was previously um, a member of a senior officer in the People's Liberation Army. And uh, I think that a lot of people have concern about the possibility that there might be backdoor routines in these uh, switches and other telecommunications technology that would allow the Chinese state, if push came to shove, to either use them for espionage purposes or, in fact, in time of conflict, to shut down our communications. So, you know, that's where the that's where the real concern comes. But uh, Huawei in Canada has already um, developed a considerable amount of the infrastructure of um, the Bell, TELUS, and SASTEL mobile data networks. So we've already got them implicated in our telecommunications. And, uh, and, the and they're, they're an employer. They're an employer here in Ottawa. They've got a, a branch out in Canada that's working hard on 5G. They've partnered with Carleton University. And so some people might think uh, I'm, I'm being hard on them or you or, or Dick Fadden are being hard on them. They look like model citizens. They sponsor Hockey Night in Canada, for goodness sakes. You don't get more Canadian than that. I mean, they are the largest telecommunications company in the world. They've exceeded Ericsson, and they sponsor sports not just in Canada, but, you know, soccer in South America. And they have these R&D institutes, not just in Canada, but also uh, Britain, Pakistan, Finland, France, Belgium, (laughs) Russia, Israel. You know, they're all over the world. So it's a massive, massive company, and 80% of all the telecommunications firms in the world have got equipment from the Huawei company. And of course, they they sell their stuff at very competitive prices. That's why, that's why they're bought. I mean, they're even their cell phones, um, you know, are are among some of the. They have some very high end cell phones, which are up at the level of Apple and Samsung, but they're considerably, considerably cheaper. So of course, you know, a lot of people buy them, and they have become the largest distributor of of mobile fo- phones in the world as well. So. I certainly wouldn't uh, buy one myself, but um, the fact is that they're out there and they're everywhere, and I don't think there's much to stop them, Um, although we could be considering whether we want to have this 5G network, which will be 100 times faster than 4G and will be implicated in just so much of our our lives and and communications to be developed by a company that um, has really such strong links with the Chinese state, which is a you know, China is a nation that has values that are not compatible with our own and major ambitions to to a form of global domination over the next, I think, thirty years, as they predict. So, you well, know, you know, pe- people would say, well, they they won't they won't get a there'll be no conflict with China. I can think of the noises they've made about demanding that they get twenty percent of any resources in the Arctic. They're not an Arctic nation, but they say, well, we've got 20% of the world's people. We know there's oil. We know there's minerals up there. They have said, first time they said it that I heard was 2010 on the eve of a visit to Canada. They were very clear. We we want this. They're actually putting the money into icebreakers to be able to get there. 
and Canada might be willing to say, well, wait a minute, we um, we don't think that you should be drilling for oil there. That could lead to China saying, well, uh, we're going to, and if you don't like it, well, it's a, it's a nice telecommunication system you've got there. It would be a pity if something were to happen. Yes, I think there's that kind of thing as we become more implicated into the Chinese economy because of the history of that state in terms of its respect for international agreements, we do have valid concerns. You know, we have the $2 billion worth of canola seeds, which have been subject to phytosanitary restrictions by the government of China that experts in Canada say are spurious. That, you know, when the prime minister was in China last year, the Chinese threat to apply those standards that would make it unfeasible for us to be selling those seeds into China uh, was deferred until 2020. But that's a $2 billion a year business. And maybe if we do things the Chinese regime doesn't like politically or, as you say, economically, China will decide that, um, you know, they don't want our, our canola seeds to start with. Um, and that could be just the beginning as we become more and more dependent on the Chinese economy. Other nations like South Korea have suffered serious sanctions when they do something that China doesn't agree with. In the case of South Korea, installing an anti-ballistic missile system, you know, because of the threat of the North Korean nuclear um, uh, bomb development, China then um, cut off the tourists and, and shut down the lottery company in, in China. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of concerns about dealing with China when we know that China doesn't see, understand fair play and, and the rule of law in the same way as we do, and because it's an asymmetrical arrangement where we don't have the power China does. Speaking with uh, Professor Charles Burton, Associate Professor of Political Science at uh, Brock University in St. Catharines, uh, Professor, the, the previous government under Stephen Harper was criticized early on for taking too strong a stance against China, and then eventually they gave that up, and, and some, including myself, thought that they were too lax when it came to, to things like Huawei and, and a few other issues. The current government seems to have no concerns about China. I mean, they've allowed uh, the one of the biggest uh, retirement home companies in the country to be taken over by China. They've allowed uh, high-tech and military firms to be taken over by China, despite warnings from uh, security experts. Do you think that they, that they worry about China being an issue at all in the Trudeau government? Well, it seems to be a playoff. I mean, certainly the reversal of the conservative government's acceptance of the recommendation of our intelligence services not to sell um, a company that manufactures technology which can be used in directed energy laser weapons the reversal of that decision was uh, staggering you know why would why would the, why would the liberal government decide to reopen something that had been settled based on advice from experts and then we have the sale of um, of the satellite technology to to a chinese concern um, out of hong kong but uh, um, with major Chinese state investment that is used by the Pentagon and Taiwan, um, you know, turning the Canadian technology into um, uh, something that the Chinese state could use against our allies. So, you know, these are very, very difficult to, to process, and I think it's because the, the Liberal government is committed to diversifying our economy into free trade with China, or at least it was, and this is seen as an acceptable cost, transferring sensitive technologies that China would not likely be able to acquire from other members of the Five Eyes intelligence 
consortium countries. Um, and then they will compensate us by providing these wonderful business opportunities, which will benefit certain um, large Canadian firms who have a good political connection. So, you know, you do you do see this um, this uh, tendency, um, whether or not China is genuinely prepared to open up its market to significant Canadian access. If we do these things, uh, remains to be seen. But certainly, there's no notion of any kind of reciprocity in these things. Canada would never be able to acquire um, contracts to provide critical infrastructure to China or to acquire um, energy and mining resources or, um, you know, or any of the other things, uh, the right to, to establish uh, ports in, in the north. We're not going to be establishing any Canadian ports anywhere in China. So, you know, it does seem that, that our relationship with China is, seems to be based on on certain interests which may in fact be against the overall uh, national security interests of our country. Did did you just mention China being able to establish a port in the north? Did I miss something that Well, I think they're they're looking at this. You know, they they've established a 99-year lease on the port of Darwin in Australia, and I think that the Chinese have a plan ultimately as you say they refer to themselves as a near arctic nation, although they're very far from the Arctic, closer <laughs> to Yemen, really, than to, uh, than to uh, alert. But leaving that aside, that they, they want to establish shipping and they want to have port facilities. And, and this is their ambition for the One Belt, One Road global infrastructure project that they see has potential to include the Canadian North as part of the Chinese net of, of um, infrastructure, all of which leads to Beijing. Oh, my word. Okay, that's going to be something to watch for. Professor Burton, thanks for the time. Very good to speak with you. All right, Charles Burton joining us from St. Catharines. My name's Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Do you have a, a thought on that much involvement with the regime in Beijing? Drop me a note, beyond the news at CFRA.com. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk All right, played a little bit of this earlier. Let me get back into it. This idea that Justin Trudeau and Ralph Goodale are going to save us from gun violence with this new bill brought in today. Do you really think that when we've got people that are shooting up the streets randomly in Ottawa, When we've got people that are randomly shooting up the streets in Toronto, in Vancouver, most cities are dealing with this. Do you really think that telling the guys, the men and women that go to the range on Saturday or that go hunting on the weekend, that telling them that they need to fill out more paperwork, and that's literally what this bill is about, that that is somehow going to 
stop the guys shooting up the streets? Because that's what Ralph Goodell wants you to believe. That's what Trudeau wants you to believe. Uh, We're going to bring in uh, common sense gun laws that do a better job of uh, background checks to keep people safe. Now, if you're wondering why I was out of breath there, he wasn't getting all emotional about the legislation. He was apparently catching his breath after running up a flight of stairs to a cabinet meeting. But the, the this legislation, there's there's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna grant the government this. They're changing the background checks. It's not a bad idea. Right now, if you apply for a gun license, they look and see have you been involved in violent crime, committed acts of violence against somebody. Uh, mental illness over the last five years. Now they're going to say, you know what? No more five years. Have you ever been involved in beating somebody, especially spousal abuse? You ever been involved in that? Okay, well, you're not getting a gun. Mental illness, mental health? Well, that depends because it's not all the same, is it? And in that case, they will evaluate. But beyond that, telling the stores you've got to keep records, how does, how does that help? They don't even have a way. They, they say, well, what about these guys that are buying 20 guns and then selling them to gangsters? Well, generally speaking, the stores are going to flag that if they don't outright reject, and they will reject if they think you're doing something untoward. But the stores will flag that sort of thing. Now, wait a minute. Every two days... Buddy's coming in and buying two pistols exactly the same. Hello, uh, police? We have a problem. But legislating that they've got to keep records in the store that police don't have access to without a warrant, that the government has no control over, how does that improve public safety? How does that stop the guy that's going to be shooting up some part of the city this weekend? It doesn't. Those guys are dealing with illegal guns that primarily come from the United States. They are already not obeying the law. They don't have gun licenses. They didn't take the safety course. They didn't go through the background check. None of this will stop that. This is nothing short of political theater in order to make people feel like the government is doing something. If you can't do something... Make them feel like you're doing something. That's all it is with Ralph Goodale and his fake statistics. They have become more prevalent, especially since 2013. There were almost 2,500 criminal incidents involving firearms in Canada in 2016. That was up by 30% since 2013. Gun homicides are up by two-thirds. Two-thirds since the lowest point that he could find in the last 12 years. That was the starting point. Pick 2013, it's the lowest point. Don't pick any point before that because it hasn't really changed. Interesting stats. Ralph Goodale, fake stats, fake news Ralph, fake news Trudeau, trying to make you feel good. Uh, When we come back, uh, one thing they don't want to act on, stopping foreign funding of elections. I'll explain. Vivian Krause is the expert on that, and she joins us. In a world gone mad, there 
there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Minister, does your government intend to implement this recommendation to, imp- to eliminate all foreign contributions for electoral purposes from Canada's electoral process? That Senator Linda Frum, she's been on this uh, show many times talking about the issue of foreign funding in Canadian elections. It was question period for Minister Scott Bryson today. While Karina Gould's on maternity leave, the president of the Treasury Board has also taken on the role of Minister for Democratic Institutions. His answer, well, it's kind of long, but I'll give you a taste. She wanted to know, are you going to get rid of foreign funding? Hmm. Interference. Um, we have already very robust election financing laws in Canada. Uh, you you uh, um, Only citizens and permanent residents can actually contribute to political uh, parties or candidates. Political parties or candidates. That's not the real issue, and that's not why Senator Frum's been bringing it up, and it's not why I've been writing at brianlilly.com about foreign funding in elections. What we're talking about are third parties, and that's what our next guest has specialized in for years Vivian Krauss keeps track of all of this at a website called Fair Question. She joins me on the line now from Vancouver. Uh, Vivian, thanks for the time, and thanks for all the research that you do on this. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. This this came to my attention over the weekend again. I I keep track of this, and uh, as I said, I've spoken regularly with Senator Frum. Uh, I think her bill should be passed. I've told her it doesn't go far enough, but at least it's a step in the right direction. She said she was trying to go for something small and tight that the liberals could get behind and and they won't. But to me, it looks like whether we're talking federal or provincial, they're not against or they are against blocking groups like Lead Now from taking foreign money because groups like Lead Now that get this California billionaire's cash – are on the progressive side and will help them get elected. Um, you've been tracking this for a long time. How serious a problem are groups like Lead Now or Dogwood Initiative or these others that that take a lot of money from down south and then use it to campaign for the parties of their choice? I think it's a very serious problem. I think it's cost our country over $100 billion. I think you could pin the uh, the 117 billion that Scotiabank says that Canada has lost out on because we haven't been getting uh, overseas prices for our oil. You can pin that smack on on this problem. Um, so I think financially, economically, the cost is huge, and more importantly, this is undermining our sovereignty. Um, so I think it's a very serious problem. You mentioned the um, uh, the price of oil. And and what we're looking at in terms of the ability to uh, to get uh, full price, we're looking at uh, a price much lower for Western. It's called Western Canadian Select, uh, and, and and it's about half of what the the oil price is for oil out of Texas. 
Well, half. I mean, that that's maybe right now because right now that that differential, that spread is uh, as about as bad as it's ever been, if I'm not mistaken. But I think maybe for 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 all of us to understand, Brian, the key thing is that this foreign meddling or foreign influence, whatever you want to call it, it's done for a reason. There's a purpose behind it, and that is to landlock our oil, landlock the crude oil from Western Canada and keep it out of overseas markets where it can compete um, with American oil and also where it can um, be bought by other countries. Right now, the United States has the monopoly on Canada. They have us over a barrel because the United States is the only country that has access to our oil. And and the Russians, of course, don't want us exporting liquid natural gas into Asia because they think that's those are their customers. Yeah, but I haven't seen... um, evidence, clear evidence of, of Russian financing of third-party groups. I think it's pretty clear where the majority of the money is coming from, and it's from down south. So from they, our, from they, our have, they have paid for these groups. Uh, do you think that some of the money coming through Tides is from oil companies, or is it no, people like Tom Steyer that are just opposed to natural resource development? He, he made his billions off of oil and other commodities, now he campaigns against them. Uh, is that where the money's coming from, those types of guys or somebody else? Well, I don't see a whole lot of Steyer money, actually. He seems to be putting his name on it. But the big bucks, as far as I can tell, the really big bucks isn't coming directly from him. But what I see happening is that uh, on the heels of the Iraq war and the California energy crisis in 2001, that's really uh, was really the, the the watershed moment, if you will, where a group of California philanthropists under the umbrella of a of a, of an organization called the CGBD, the Consultative Group on Biological Diversity, now called the Biodiversity Funders. They came together and they decided that we look, you know, they said we really want to get serious. We need to get serious about energy security, energy independence. Because California was at the point of having having rationing of its electricity. It was in a real mess. This was 17 years ago, okay? And that point this group of billionaire funders started a suite, a, a, a number of, of efforts and initiatives all related to energy policy. And it was all about diversifying the supply of energy in the U.S. Uh, to get, and to get the U.S. off of Mideast oil. So in 2003, 2004, that was clearly the focus. It was energy independence and energy security. So the group, why, why would that, they be against our oil then? Well, here's the thing. They're not against it, right? But what they want is, of course, if you're, if you're the United States, and, and at that point, more than half of their, their oil supply was imported, okay? If you want to get off Mideast oil, the first thing you've got to do is lock down Canadian oil, right? So that's what this is all about. It's not uh, about keeping can- Canadian oil in the ground. It's about keeping exclusive access to it. And, of course, people always ask me right away, well, then that doesn't make sense. Why were they blocking Keystone? Because Keystone just brought, brought more oil into the U.S. But the fact is that all that, all throughout the entire movement and the entire Keystone, anti-Keystone campaign, it actually never kept one single barrel of oil out. It just meant that the pipeline companies got a lot more efficient by putting more crude through the existing pipelines, maximizing the use of that capacity. And it sent a lot of, of oil down by rail. So the Americans actually didn't lose out on a single barrel of oil. 
even right. despite this campaign. But they did continue the monopoly on access to our Western Canadian crude. So they, they end up funding groups like Lead Now, who in the last federal election went out and said, uh, we're going to target 29 conservative uh, held ridings and elect the new Democrat or liberal that has the best chance of beating the conservative. They claim success in 25. Why would they be involved in in funding a group like Lead Now to go out and do that? Well, it's pretty obvious to me. You know, they have aligned themselves with a, a prime minister uh, and his office who doesn't seem to be supportive of, of breaking the U.S. monopoly on our oil. I mean, if our current prime minister was supportive of that, surely he would have gotten behind Northern Gateway and or Energy East. He hasn't done that. So it's pretty clear to me that the current prime minister has absolutely no intention of breaking the U.S. monopoly on our oil. On the contrary, his policies and his actions to date have been to continue to keep us over the barrel, not to to break that and not to expand our trading partnerships. It's very clear from his actions what his what his intentions are. Okay, so and it's important to realize that in the in the 2015 federal election, Lead Now claims credit for having uh, helped to defeat 25 conservative incumbents. Now, in many writings, they um, those those incumbents were defeated by by a wide margin and and had nothing to do with Lead Now. It, the Liberals won that you could say fair and square. But in some writings, for example, in Winnipeg, the uh, the the conservative was defeated defeated there by only 61 votes. That's a writing where Lead Now apparently had staff for you know more than a year, full-time staff or part-time staff. So in a writing where you've, where you've defeated an incumbent by 61 votes, it's probably, I would say, fair to guess at least that, yeah, Lead Now probably had some influence. So in a handful of writings, yes. And the thing to consider is that this was only really the first election. They were in kindergarten. Okay, What mm-hmm. are they going to do in the next election? What are they going to do in the, gonna, in the provincial know, one? The, exactly that, too. Look what they did in British Columbia. They had, a, I would say, a very significant uh, influence in British Columbia on, um, on, you know, pushing for the formation of the coalition that we now have between the NDP and the Greens. The one that helped so, chase away the liquid natural, natural gas uh, plant, uh, $36 billion, and, uh, and is not helping um, uh, with the Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion. Yeah. So okay, uh, Vivian, am yeah. I am I able to to ask you to stick around if I take a quick break and and come back to you because I th- feel like we're just scratching the surface, and you've got sure. so much to say. Hopefully, my phone battery will hang in here, oh. but sure, I'd be glad to, Brian. Okay, thanks so much, uh, Vivian Krause. Joining us, we'll take a quick break and get back because there's so much more uh, that she can tell us about these uh, foreign funded groups in our elections. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. The leader of the unofficial opposition, Brian Lilly, is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. We are talking foreign funding of Canadian elections with Vivian Krauss. She's a writer and researcher based out of Vancouver. She's documented well the money going into our political system to kind of landlock Canadian oil, but Vivian, right now we've got um, we've got Lead Now, which is one of the groups that's taken this money, and and they they had a hand in in defeating some conservatives federally. You say they had a hand in in the British Columbia election. 
that brought in the NDP Green Coalition. Now they're moving into Ontario. They've started a campaign to stop Doug Ford. Is this group, uh, talk to me about um, the report you did. You looked into them. They were effectively set up by or had help getting set up by an incubator out of San Francisco that was set up by Tides, weren't they? Yes, that's correct. I was absolutely astonished. You know, it was a Saturday morning, just two or three days, I guess, before the 2015 federal election, and 10 to 7, and I stumbled across their original business plan. Um, you know, it was for, for $16 million over 10 years. And, uh, you know, the surprising thing about it that I noticed was that the, the budget specified that the funds needed to be in Canadian dollars. And I thought to myself, well, why would you specify that if you're writing for a, a Canadian, you know, a sort of a domestic audience of fundraisers, right? We, we never specify when, you know, things are Canadian dollars unless it's to be, you know, to be discussed in another country, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of caught my eye. And then um, I found, a, you know, photographs of the folks that lead now online uh, in New York at a meeting with the Rockefeller Brothers Fund um, in England. And then I found a photograph of them in Australia, some of them, in Australia, winning an award from this American organization for their campaign for help, having helped to defeat the conservative government. This was in January of 2016 that staff from Lead Now were flown or flew to Australia and got this award from an American organization for helping help to defeat a Canadian federally, federal government. So, and then I found, you know, over, over the course of the next few months, at least three um, U.S.-funded organizations that claim credit for having defeated the, the conservative government in the 2015 federal election. On so, you know, by the time I put all this together, I thought, gee, you know, when a, when a foreign non-Canadian organization takes credit for having played, and I quote, a major role in our federal elections, you know, maybe we should take them at their word, or at least take them seriously. I mean, we're all, yeah, everyone in this country is worried about Russia interfering in the American election. They're more worried about that than about the documented evidence from you, from Joan Crockett, from Senator Frum, showing American interference in ours. So there's this, tell me about the incubator that uh, kind of set them up. These are the guys that gave them the award. they yeah. essentially put them well, on training wheels and said, go. Exactly. That's a good way of describing it. I think that's a fair description. So what happened is Tides originally helped to create a group called the League of Young Voters. Okay. And that's a spinoff from the League of Conservation Voters, which tries to get politicians elected who are sensitive and to environmental concerns and will implement policy that is you know, favorable to the protection of the environment. So Tides helped create this organization called the League of Young Voters. And then it created a project called the Citizen Engagement Laboratory. It had a program called Strategic Incubation. And that had a, had a, is part of a project called the, the Open Progressive Engagement Network. The acronym is OPEN, okay? Online Progressive Engagement Network, sorry. So the director of that was a, a, a fellow named Ben Branzel. And he came to Canada in 2011 and helped set up Lead Now. He tweeted about, you know, staying at a farmhouse near Toronto and planting tomatoes. And, of course, in hindsight, obviously, you know, kind of clear now that he was planting a lot more than tomatoes. So my question <laughs> yeah. has been, you know, well, who paid his airfare? Who, you know, did he come here as a volunteer on his own free time? Or did he come here as a paid employee 
of a strategic incubation program. And by the way, the interesting thing about this organization is that in their own literature, they're very clear that they are out to help groups swing elections, federal elections, okay? And not only in Canada, but in India, in the UK, in Germany, and in, and in other countries. So, you know, Canada is just one of the, um, one of the countries. We're, we're, not, we're not the only one. The Australia, in fact, get this. So in the 20, I guess it was 2016 federal election in Australia, this American organization took folks from Lead Now to Australia to help them in their federal election. So, you know, it, it, it's quite interesting. Of course, people always want to know, well, is the same as, you know, the Russian meddling? Well, no, it isn't. That there's very stark differences, but there I, is I think one it's more complex. Yes, and there's impo- one important commonality here, and that is that both of them are about oil. You know, the Russians are meddling for a variety of reasons, but one of them is obviously one of the, shank- the sanctions lifted, um, you know, so they could, you know, they're, they're losing out on hundreds of billions of dollars in, in revenue because of the sanctions on there, especially on their oil, uh, overseas oil sales. And here, this U.S. Camp- US funded campaign is specifically, and I quote, to landlock the crude from, from Western Canada and to keep it out of overseas markets. So that's the important thing I, I think we need to realize, that it's not, just, it, it's not just meddling willy-nilly. It's meddling to continue the monopoly, the U.S. monopoly on our oil. So is there play in Ontario just more progress, uh, help uh, elect more politicians aligned with the progressive movement, with the left wing? Is, is that it? Well, Brian, you know, I, I, I would be speculating if I tried to answer your question. I'm not trying to dodge your question. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just giving you an honest answer. I, I don't have a, a clear, clear answer to that. But what I can tell you is what I see happening is that the, the, the major thrust of, of this U.S.-funded activism is to stop um, major projects and to stop especially resource-based industries. The problem I see with it is the duplicity that they're not doing south of the border what they're trying to do north of the border. They're, trying, they're asking of Canada things that they aren't asking, aren't doing in their own backyard. And that's the, tr- the trouble I see is the, is the duplicity. You could say even the hypocrisy. Okay? All right. So what's happening, what's happening is our, you know, ca- they're putting the screws to Canada and not asking the same. Even things like the carbon tax, you know, they lifted the export ban on, on U.S. oil exports. You know, there's no campaign to landlock Texas, right? No one's trying to landlock Texas crude. In fact, on the contrary, they, they were, you know, turned a blind eye as President Obama lifted the, the ban on U.S. oil exports. So now the U.S. is exporting oil to 20, 30 countries. They're exporting we're, we're exporting on, primarily to one. Yeah, and that, they're exporting now. The U.S. is now exporting a million barrels a day. That would be totally impossible if they weren't being able to, to replace that with Canadian oil. Vivian, thanks so for the time. they hand over fist. And, and yeah. we're not. Thanks for the time today, and thanks for all your research. Uh, it, just oh. Google Vivian Krause fair questions if you want to find out what she's saying now. All the best. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. I think her phone died right at the end there. Um, stick around. This talk about Facebook and what is it, Cambridge Analytica? I'll explain explain to you what politicians have been doing to you in this country without the help of some company in London, England.
insurgent? Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Our focus on Cambridge Analytica and the Facebook data and the alleged misappropriation of the data is one strand of a much larger investigation into the use of personal data for big data politics. That's the voice of the Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham out of Britain. Sounds Canadian, that's because she is. She used to work here. Uh, used to be a deputy privacy commissioner, I believe. Now she's looking after the information commissioner's office in Britain, and she's very worried about the fact that the Donald Trump campaign used information from Facebook to target users. And you know what? So so are an awful lot of politicians in this country. Uh, Charlie Angus today was calling on the prime minister to raise this issue with G7 leaders when they meet. We believe the Prime Minister is well suited at the G7 to raise this. We're asking him to make a commitment that he will raise this and that we start to address the need to put some kind of international frame and some kind of international obligation Hmm. on large actors like Facebook. Hmm, we've got to do something, don't we? This all sounds very, very, yes, yes, we must fix this. Scott Bryson as well out there saying this has to be fixed. Our, our man now in charge of democratic institutions. We've reached out as a department, uh, democratic institutions, to CSIC to ask them to um, uh, do an analysis of these recent events and to consider other ways uh, that we can further strengthen uh, the protection of our democratic institutions. You know what it's reminding me of? It's a scene from a famous movie that all this outrage from politicians over Donald Trump using Facebook, it it reminds me of something out of, oh, what movie was it? Casablanca. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. Look, I've been on Facebook for more years than I can count. I don't have a regular page, so if you try and add me as a friend, it's not going to work. I get those requests now and again. I have a public page. You can like it. You can follow it. But having a public page or a business page also allows me to do something that you can't. I can target you. And you want to know something? I have. I have placed ads on Facebook to gain followers. Now, you have to actually react to what I put out there like any other ad, which is what the politicians were doing by putting out ads as stories. They would promote stories. They would place ads. These are all things that I've done that politicians in this country can do. But now they're they're freaking out that Donald Trump did it. it. There's a piece out of Bloomberg today. It says the problem is Facebook, not Cambridge Analytica. The idea that Facebook data could be used to target you based on your likes, based on conversations you've had, is not a bug. It's a feature. This is how it 
works. So I host this radio show. I used to host a TV show. I know who my audience is, but maybe not all of the people out there that would be interested in what I'm selling know it's there. And so I've been able to say I'm looking for people who fit this demographic profile, people between the ages of 30 and 55 who like Stephen Harper. This I haven't run ads in a couple of years um, that I remember. Not not targeted ads like this. So I might say, okay, uh, someone uh, in Ottawa between twenty uh, between thirty and fifty five who likes Stephen Harper, likes CFRA, uh, but does not like me, does not follow me. Um, that you know that sort of thing. I've put out ads looking for Canadians because I've met so many big American conservative uh, commentators. I've put out ads with myself standing with Glenn Beck. Myself with Ann Coulter, myself with a whole pile of uh, Ben Shapiro, people like this. And I've I've targeted those ads to Canadians who are interested in conservative politics and like the people in the ads. Let me tell you, putting yourself next to a a, a tall, blonde, uh, well-known woman like Ann Coulter and targeting a, a picture of you with her and you're targeting her fans in Canada – let me tell you, her fans start showing up and liking your page, and then they become your fans. There's nothing untoward in it. Most people don't know that they can be targeted, but you agree to it when you sign on. I agree to it when I signed on. You agree to it when you signed on. If you don't like what's there, you keep scrolling on past. Just like when you hear an ad on this radio station. Oh, well, I, I, I don't like that I care place. I'm going to destroy this radio station. No, you, you don't chop there. You move along. You keep listening. You're going to hear something you like. That's how Facebook is operating here. Why this is so hypocritical is that this current government, has just about dropped all traditional media advertising at the federal level. You still hear a lot of provincial ads on radio stations like this one. But the feds don't really advertise that much on on radio anymore. They don't advertise that much on TV because they want these targeted ads. And that's for the government side. On the political party side, they use the same tactics. They also data mine you. As soon as you sign up, you sign up, you sign one of their petitions, you sign up to donate money, be a member. They are going to find you online and build a profile of you. It is what they do, and they all have specialists for it. Now, Cambridge Analytica appears to have violated Facebook's terms of conditions of uh, service, terms of service. I'm not sure they actually broke what would be a law in Canada. I don't know what it's like in Europe. Europe is different. Another article for you says, Funny, when Obama harvested Facebook data on millions of users to win in 2012, everyone cheered. 
According to various news accounts, a professor at Cambridge University built a Facebook app around 2014 that involved a personality quiz. About 270,000 users of the app agreed to share some of their Facebook information as well as data from people on their friends list. As a result, tens of millions ended up part of this data mining operation. Consulting firm Cambridge Analytica, which paid for the research, later worked with the Trump campaign to help them target advertising campaigns on Facebook using the data they'd garnered on, gathered on users. But while the Trump campaign used Cambridge Analytica during the primaries, it didn't use the information during the general election campaign, relying instead on voted voter data provided by the Republican National Committee, according to CBS News. It goes on. It says, This is not the first time Facebook users had their data unwittingly shared with a political campaign. In 2012, the Obama campaign encouraged supporters to download the Obama 2012 Facebook app that, when activated, let the campaign collect Facebook data on users and their friends. According to a July 2012 MIT Technology Review article, when you installed the app, it said uh, it would grab information about my friends, their birth dates, locations, and likes. The campaign boasted that more than a million people downloaded the app, which, given an average friendless size of 190, means that as many as 190 people had some of their Facebook data vacuumed up by the Obama campaign without their knowledge or consent. If anything, Facebook made it easy for Obama to do so. A former campaign uh, director, Carol Davidson, tweeted that Facebook was surprised we were able to suck out the whole social graph. But they didn't stop us once they realized uh, that that was what we were doing. This Facebook treasure trove gave Obama an unprecedented ability to reach out to non-supporters. More important, the campaign could deliver carefully targeted campaign messages disguised as messages from friends to millions of Facebook users. The campaign readily admitted that such subtle deception was key to their Facebook strategy. Quote, people don't trust campaigns. They don't even trust media organizations. This, uh, according to Teddy Goff, the Obama campaign's digital director, speaking at the time in 2012. Who do they trust, Goff said? Their friends. According to a Time magazine account, just after Obama won re-election, the team blitzed supporters who had already signed up for the app with requests to share specific online content with specific friends Simply by clicking a button. Okay, so imagine this. This is 2012, and this was bragged about and cheered. The Obama campaign, you support them. You download the app. They suck out all the information, not only on you, but but your friends who have not downloaded the app. And they're able to see that your friend is hot on a certain issue. They they send you a message. Tell your friend Josie that... uh, You know, we're going to stand up for her on this issue. Click this one button to share the story with Josie. 190 million, that's way more than the the number of people that were sucked up as part of this Cambridge app. It was done four years before. It was celebrated in mainstream media at the time. But now that we've got Donald Trump involved, it's... Horrible. It's the worst. By the way, you can find this uh, Carol Davidson tweeting about this, saying how 
Facebook came to the office days following election recruiting, and they were very candid that they allowed us to do things they wouldn't have allowed someone else to do because they were on our side. Unreal. But now, now we've got to be worried. Now we need rules. Interesting how that works in this media world, isn't it? Are you hearing this angle to the story anywhere else? I mean, I'm reading from uh, Bloomberg. And I forget this media, but they're quoting time in CBS News. Sorry, Stephen just removed that when he printed it off, uh, who it was from. But there are mainstream media outlets reporting this. Are you hearing this in Canada, or is it just more of the same Trump's bad boo hiss? Well, hopefully this is why you come to this show. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Brian Lilly. Don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. They have become more prevalent, especially since 2013. There were almost 2,500 criminal incidents involving firearms in Canada in 2016. That was up by 30% since 2013. Gun homicides are up by two-thirds. Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodell trying to convince you that his new gun legislation is about dealing with violent crime with guns when really it's about paperwork for people that are already following the law. You heard him there saying... Gun murders are up by two-thirds since 2013. Now, why did he use the, the year 2013? The last year that we have full stats for is 2016. We should be getting the 2017 numbers soon, but we don't have them yet. And these are StatsCan numbers. Methods used to commit homicide with a weapon. It breaks it down. Shooting, stabbing, beating, strangulation, fire, burns or suffocation. Other methods used. Well, in 2016, there were 223 homicides using a firearm. In 2013, there was only 134. That's up by 89. Wow, gun crime's really taking off. That is up by two-thirds. That's 89 extra. That's, wow, gun crime's rampant. No, he used 2013 because it was the lowest year. I went into... The StatsCan tables. Now, if you're looking at StatsCan data, a StatsCan data table, you can often see down below it'll say data is part of CanSum table, blah, blah, blah. And you can go in and add and remove data. I didn't remove any data from the stat that Ralph Goodale was citing. I added to it, as in I added previous years back to 2005. In 2005, there were 224 homicides with guns. That's the last year the liberals were in power with their beloved gun registry before Stephen Harper was able to get in and start granting people uh, immunity and, and, and loosening our gun laws. And 
homicides with guns went down in 2006. They went down in 2007 to 188. They went up a little bit in 2008, down again in 2009 to 182. They went down in 2010 to 175, down to 159 in 2011. Oops, back up to 171 in 2012. 2013, the first year without the full gun registry, down to 134, then up to 155, 179, 223. According to Stats Canada, 54%, 54% of those 223 homicides with a firearm in 2016 committed by a gang that they know of and others, they admit, may have been gang-related, but they cannot confirm. You take away the gang homicides with guns, and there's more people stabbed to death in a given year than shot to death. It's still too many, but people, homicides will happen. And if it's not with a gun, it'll be with a knife or a beating or strangulation. They happen in countries, there's even gun murders in Britain, which has banned all guns, yet somehow there are gun murders. What we have in Canada is a crime problem due to gangs, and their solution is paperwork for people that want to go hunting and shooting at the range. It makes no sense, but it will make some people feel better because they think the government's doing something. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. And as you heard in the newscast, breaking news this evening, a sixth explosion in Austin, Texas. Is that bucolic little town, that bucolic city? In West Texas, deals with an absolutely bizarre situation. They've had five explosions in Austin itself, one in San Antonio for a package that was shipped from, uh, was supposed to go to Austin, Texas. There would have been a seventh package explode, except they were able to find it at that San Antonio FedEx facility. It was addressed to someone in Austin. So, to recap, a sixth explosion, this one at a Goodwill store. Someone has been injured there. There were three packages left at doorsteps of African-American and Latino families. Those were the first three. Police thought that they had someone targeting minorities on their hands. The next package was a an explosive that was set off by a tripwire in a wealthy, mostly white neighborhood of Austin. Yesterday, it was the FedEx, and now an explosion at a Goodwill Center. Uh, let's listen in right now with Anderson Cooper, who is on the phone with Roberto Villapando. He's a mobile breaking news editor with CNN and on the scene. Well, 
what I, I, I'm not sure inside or outside. Uh, what I'm referring to are the, as the information we've been getting from authorities, local authorities via Twitter. Okay. That are usually our first indication of information. So local authorities. And go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Local, oh, go ahead. local authorities are saying there was an explosion at the Goodwill store. That's what I. That's what, what they had tweeted earlier, and that's what we've been reporting. Did you yourself hear anything? Yes. So it was around seven o'clock in my house. As I said, we're only about six six hundred fifty feet away from the Goodwill store itself. Uh, it we're separated by a green belt uh, from my subdivision and, and the uh, shopping center where the Goodwill store is. Um, and my son and I were downstairs in the living room, and we could hear it pretty loud. And we typically can hear loud noises from the shopping center. For instance, you know, uh, dumpsters getting dumped out at, late at night. But this was much louder than that, and it was a singular boom. This may sound like a dumb question. Did you actually feel um, the blast itself? Uh, I'm just trying to get a sense of how powerful it may have been. Hearing it is one thing. I, did you did you actually feel anything in the house? We couldn't actually, we couldn't actually feel anything in the house, but it was loud enough where we had the TV on fairly loud, and we could hear it distinctly, almost as if it was a voice in the room. That's how loud it was. And then after that, were there what, what happened? Did you did you look out the window? What did you hear or see? Sure, I went outside uh, with my dog actually to uh, go to the uh, entrance of the green belt, uh, and there's a trail that leads from our house to uh, actually to the shopping center through the green belt. And I, I took my took my dog to the uh, entrance there to actually just to if anybody was going to come out of the, out of the end of the green belt there. Um, you know, I've been reporting the story uh, with my colleagues at the American Statesman, and uh, we've heard all kinds of theories. We've heard all kinds of speculation about uh, how this person is planting bombs or, or uh, setting up escape routes. And so I was, frankly, I was just trying to see if maybe somebody was going to come out through that pathway. Roberto, I should say, we've just gotten the following tweet from police department. It reads, there was no package explosion. Items inside the package was not a bomb, rather an incendiary device. At this time, we have no reason to believe this incident is related to previous package bombs. So that's a, that's a, they're saying it's an incendiary device. Uh, and again, I just want to read that. There was no package explosion in the 9800 block of Brody Lane. Items inside package was not a bomb, rather an incendiary device. At this time, we have no reason to believe this incident is related to previous package bombs, breaking hashtag package uh, bomb murders. Okay, so, so right reports from, from media, including uh, CNN, going breaking there with a reporter from the Austin American Statesman, the major newspaper in the Texas Capitol, on a six explosion. It's the headline at Drudge right now. It is uh, being carried live on CTV and all over the place. But now police saying that this is they do not believe that this is related to the package bombs at this point. But that tells you how on edge the city of Austin is that every loud noise becomes this. So we'll continue to monitor this and see what happens, what comes of it. But, wow, it's um, I can't imagine it's reminding me of the Capitol shooter. Shortly after 9-11, and remember, 
This was a guy who had kitted out his car to be able to lie in the trunk, put a rifle through a hole in the back of an older, large sedan vehicle, and just shoot people at random. It was a terrifying time in the area in and around Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. You're listening to Beyond the News. Uh, We're going to take a a quick call. Michelle's calling in about uh, Cambridge Analytics that we were talking about earlier. Uh, Michelle, are you shocked that politicians might use Facebook to to see what you like and then market to you? You know, Brian, I'm, I'm not shocked. And I'll tell you, if I was a younger person and I was working on a campaign and I wanted my guy to win, it wouldn't be above me to dig through somebody's garbage because that's just the nature of the game. That's that Neil Young song, right? Reporters going through your garbage. And I can understand the desire to win and to want to know, have an edge over everything. But on the weekend, I saw this gentleman, and I, I called Rob Snow this morning, and I was trying to speak about it, but I had such bad feedback, I wasn't even able to get my thought out uh, without hearing my voice when I was talking. But he spoke about Facebook, but about the dominance that these high-tech companies are having and how it's affecting the market. And when I heard it presented that way, I had a whole different feel about it. When he said that Amazon alone had $591 billion uh, their their stock is is worth more than sixteen companies. So Amazon alone, five hundred ninety one billion, has more stock than Walmart and Costco and Sears and I mean sixteen companies. That's just one. So if you look at Facebook, Facebook has four of the top five apps. And so he went on to explain. His name was Scott uh, Gallo, I think. And he was and he was talking about um, how Facebook can actually they have this technology, and it, and it can go out. And when there's an app that's getting a lot of uh, attention, the they have a tracking thing, and it goes immediately to that site, and it either adopts the features that that these people have, or they go in and buy it. And so he went on to explain that there's more millionaires being made now, billionaires then there are millionaires and that it's preventing small growth in, in the, um, I'm not a, uh, an economist, but he was just saying that it's very difficult for somebody to start up now, start up like a business because these giant guys come in and crush you before you can even get it, well, I, get anything going. And that look, Michelle, that happens in, in all kinds of business. And we just have to remember that it uh, wasn't that long ago, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon was selling books off of one computer in a living room of a a rundown bungalow in Seattle, uh, and Ericsson was the 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 world's largest cell phone maker, and no one would catch them. And BlackBerry was the world dominant. These giants rise and fall. And right now it's Facebook. But you know what it's reminding me of is a century ago it was William Randolph Hearst, who owned so many newspapers he could felt he could try and dictate everything to the world. And I think that's how Mark Zuckerberg feels. But You know, all of these campaigns use the information that we freely give them and that we leave behind on the web. Um, You know, well, that's another thing that I kind of take exception with, because a lot of these people, I mean, this technology is recently it's relatively new, right? It's been within the last 20 years what we have Facebook. And so Facebook got a lot of these people when they were very young. And I don't think people understand 
that your information is is valid, like there's worth to it. And so when somebody signs up for an online quiz or whatever because they're so vain, they want to find out what what they're like. It's it's back in the days of you know the the girl magazines where you can find out what kind of a guy would if you check off these boxes well that that was just in your magazine and only you saw what you checked off unless you gave your magazine away yeah. and i used to love to go to the doctor's office and look for people who had filled them out <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know who they were but you'd think man these people are messed up right and so but but well, now, the, these but, are free things though that nobody makes us go on but and... they're free but they were doing it to a bunch of naive people like there's a lot of naive kids that gave so much away unbeknownst to them that this was going to be out there forever. Okay, but and but I knowing, disagree with a lot of that. The, the information, and I think this is important for people to understand, um, and I know this because, as I said earlier, I go in and I, I've bought these ads. If I say I'm looking for a woman in your part of Ottawa that is, and you are right, you fit everything about that, Michelle? Yeah. I don't get to see your name. I don't get to see your profile unless you respond to the ad and come to me. I say, here's what I'm looking for. I want, you know, I want to, I want to pitch this ad at somebody that meets these demographics. And if you check off that box, you might see the ad. You might not. You might see the ad. You can respond to it or do what most of us do and scroll past. But yeah, I don't get to see that it's you. I don't get to know that Michelle in Ottawa uh, is one of the people that saw the ad, unless, and and I won't even know that you saw the ad if you say, "I like Brian. I'm going to like his page, and I'm going to follow him, and but I'm going to comment." Just a little more malicious, aren't they? Sort of sending along stories and stuff that would really sort of appeal to that person and reinforce. That's what their Obama side. was doing in 2012. I don't have a. Don't get me wrong. Like that's how business is done that's capitalism and okay, if you're but, selling a but, better but why is it an issue place? now I, I i tweeted out and so you don't have to go look up carol davidson you can find it she tweeted this out i retweeted her earlier tonight you can find it she points out how and this is 2012 uh, she gives a screenshot of uh, an email that was sent to someone. Harper, North Carolina's got a big day today. You can help. Folks in our state are voting. Reach out to the folks you know in North Carolina using Facebook and let them know they can vote right now. So if you click that, it would show Michelle saying, vote right now. Well, a lot of people want to do that anyways because they back Obama and they wanted to do that. But it goes out to your friends and it looks like it's you telling them instead of Obama. And so they have a better reception to it. And, you know, again, if I was, if I was in that, if that was my job, you're darn right. I'd use everything at my power to, to get, to win because that's what it's all about. And so that's where I'm saying, I kind of have a hard time with this. If you know you're being targeted because your information is going to be used afterwards um, for something and it's up front and they want your opinion, listen, I used to do that before when I used to get phone calls from polling firms that were liberal and I knew they were liberal. I would answer so far from anything I ever felt just because I was having fun on my <laughs> end. And so then I'd say, oh, let's see what this poll has to say. And I think a lot of people caught on to that. And I think that there's a lot of polls that are incorrect now because people are just saying, They're oh, playing really? with the pollsters. We're yeah. playing with them. All and right. So, 
but that that's i mean i wouldn't be a, a beneath it my i would do myself everything i could to win and well, get, especially get if it. i truly believed in the person that i was supporting you're gonna but, have to get out there and hustle for doug ford because he's up I against Ford money. all right thanks for the call michelle uh i gotta run look it if we don't like being marketed to, we really will have to turn off Facebook, turn off the radio, turn not open a newspaper, or just go to only government-run media. Yay, beachcombers! You can listen to V-Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. It'll be interesting to see what that incendiary device in Austin, Texas was. As I said, a complete city on edge. Meanwhile, we've, uh, just to go back to the, the gun control issue here, Wendy Kukier from the Canadian Coalition for Gun Control was on with Don Martin earlier today. Now, she's a professor at Ryerson and apparently a a really uh, bad boss because she was hired to go to Brock and then they rescinded it after some kind of investigation at uh, Ryerson into how she treats people. So Brock took away the offer of a job and she's still at Ryerson. So this is a woman who works in downtown Toronto probably lives in downtown Toronto or not too far. And she's out there trying to scare people about the use of handguns. Listen to the example she gives. Well, handguns are supposed to be restricted. We're now seeing uh, that there are over a million restricted and prohibited guns in Canada. There's something wrong with this picture. We're seeing uh, farmers in Saskatchewan using handguns. Maybe they're target shooters, maybe they're collectors, or maybe we've just gone soft on controlling handguns. Man, we need gun control because a farmer in Saskatchewan used a handgun while five people were rampaging through his property. Uh, Wendy Cook here, as I said, lives in Toronto. I'm on the Toronto Police website right now. Shootings by year, 2016, 79. Victims, 99. 2017, 76 shootings, 100 victims. 2018, 69 so far, 94 victims. There have been 11 shootings in the month of March. There were 23 in the month of February and 35 in the month of January this year. And that's the example she uses? This woman, it's fascinating to actually talk to her because she has very little in the way of stats to back up her argument, little in the way of facts. She'll occasionally throw out a poll with a loaded emotional question in it, but that's it. But when you challenge her with facts, she turns to emotion or shuts down the debate, doesn't actually want to talk about the issue, just wants to shove it down your throat. Again, if it was common sense gun control, I applaud them on changing the background checks. That's good. But how does making someone like me fill out more paperwork stop the guys that are shooting up the streets it doesn't makes the government feel good though
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Really feeling for Eric and uh, Melanie Carlson right now with um, the news of their losing their baby. The, it, it was a bit of a fairy tale wedding, a bit of a royal wedding here in Ottawa last year with the two of them getting married in the National Arts Center. And then they announced their pregnancy shortly thereafter. And then there was the reveal they shot a puck. And it exploded blue and they posted a video up on social media. It was, it was something. And then for them to uh, go public and announce that they had lost the baby they were expecting next month, um, it's got to be difficult for them, incredibly difficult. Carlson not playing in the lineup for the Senators tonight against uh, Florida. The, they've asked for privacy. I think what they need to know is that the, the city's behind them, and I think we all feel this way anytime we know someone. I've never met Eric Carlson. Many people in this building have. Many people in this building know him well. I don't. Um, you know, I'm not Terry Marcotte. I'm not Gord Wilson, Graham Creech, who, um, or uh, Callum Fraser, guys that talk to him in the in the scrums in the dressing room. But anytime you even feel like you know someone, you feel for them when they go through this time. So uh, just my heart breaks for the Carlson's thoughts and prayers uh, for them and theirs today. Uh, unfortunately, it um, it's not a good night for the Sens either way. So in addition to this news, which I'm sure his, his teammates are feeling um, because they they work together, one of your close t- teammates is going through this. You're going to feel it. Uh, it's not a good uh, good night for the Senators in another way in that uh, they're losing and, and losing badly, is it, uh, Stephen? What's it uh, at? Yeah, yeah, pretty much just your typical uh, night uh, for the Sens this year. Uh, 6-2 the score uh, heading into the third period uh, for Florida. Florida adjusting for a playoff spot right now. Uh, they use four goals yeah. in the second period and chase well, Greg Anderson from the net. You know, I, I ran into Lee Versace yesterday, uh, not at work, <laughs> and we started talking uh, about how uh, a lot of fans are upset that the Senators had been winning. They went on that little winning streak there, and fans weren't happy because they're not going to make the playoffs. They may as well just blow it all out, right? I think they're more disappointed that it didn't come sooner in the season when it was salvageable and it comes in March when yeah, probably when better off not picking up points. But I, I've always said I want to see some fight, and they're showing plenty of fight, but unfortunately it's nights like these where they've been having where they just show a glimmer of hope. It looks like, okay, they're going to get back in the game, and then the other team just buries them. No. Well, there's always Thursday against Edmonton. Yeah, against Connor McDavid, who's like a top five score in the league. No biggie. Yeah, no biggie. So are you bothered by this Facebook? Well, it's being called a Facebook data breach, and I really wish they'd stop calling it that. It's a Facebook feature. 
Again, from Bloomberg, Leonid, uh, Leonid uh, Bershitsky. The problem is, not, is Facebook, not Cambridge Analytica. Outrage over a U.K. firm's use of Facebook data for the Trump campaign should lead to a much bigger question. And that question is, it's Facebook. It's how they use the data. It's how they are built. Now, I said when I buy ads, I can't see that it's you. You know, if I say I'm looking for someone that I let's say I found a strong connection among my fans. Between people that like Doritos chips. Hockey and Stephen Harper, that if you like those three things, there's a 98 percent chance you're going to be a fan of this radio show and, and the things I post online. And I, I went out and I put an ad out for them. Well, I'm going to see your aggregate data, which means your name is stripped off, your age. I'm going to know that you're in the age bracket that I'm looking for. I'm going to know that you are in the, the general vicinity of what I'm looking for. But I'm not going to know that it's you. Well, it turns out that when the Obama campaign harvested Facebook data on millions of users in 2012, they actually got everyone's information because they got 1 million people to download the Facebook app. And at that point, now I've been told by people that do this for a living that the way Facebook allows apps to run now, it, it this could not happen. But in 2012, if you downloaded it, and said, yeah, you can check out my friends, they took all the information on your friends. By 2015, those privacy rules on data sharing apps had been uh, cleared. The data that Trump apparently used in the primaries was data that was picked out in 2014. According to one of the top digital organizers for Obama, Facebook cheered them and was excited at what they were able to do. You can find the tweets on my Twitter feed right now. And by the way, speaking of Twitter, or speaking of social media and targeting people, I was looking at my the back end of my Twitter feed. Thank you all that have liked, shared, commented, retweeted. Four million people have seen my tweets in the last 28 days. That's a milestone for me. I haven't gone over four million before. But off to the side as I'm looking at that and marveling and going, wow, that's pretty good month, four million. Why well, I've never come close to that. A little ad from Twitter. Get more tweets. Get your tweets in front of more people. And it offers to let me buy an ad. And guess what I get to do? I get to go in and target you on their social media platform. The Trump campaign couldn't even have done what the Obama campaign did and was heralded for in several media articles written at the time, stripping out all of your data. This was not a privacy breach at the time. Trump apparently using some data from 2014 in 2016 for the primaries, that's bad. I don't get it, but that's the way it is. The outrage is driven by Trump. The outrage is not driven so much by what happened, but by who did it? Are you bothered by this? Uh, how this is working? Five to one talk. Five to one eight two five five. George, 
You bothered? I, are you even on Facebook? I know you got your blog no, I going. I'm on Air Facebook. That's why. That's why because the, I knew they were going to start using it to do that. Remember you're I, you're you're not opposed to being online though. I mean, you're right. You no, I'm going to blog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the trouble is, I know about the psychic stuff and, and and data collection. I know what you can do with it. Like you can take a collection of names and you can tell uh, what girl is going to be, be be acceptable to booze because of her birth name. So you know, like. Uh, Okay, I don't think Facebook can do that. But you can trust uh, me. Well, that that's not that's not data mining, George. That's the problem that Facebook, That's your voodoo. The problem that Facebook ended up with data mining is the same problem the psychics ended up with. As you data mine, you didn't know what the other effects are going to be. In other words, they're getting the same problem that a, 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 a person who, who psychic reads too much. They're having all the same problems. You know, they're getting uh, backlashes. And these backlashes get a lot worse if they, they they get backfeeding their own data. If you take enough data out there and try forcing people to go into your sites, that'll change the data. But you don't you, you don't force anybody to go. You you, know, it you, you make offers. Yeah, but it can backfeed on you, and and and, and the and and, and, and the uh, method you're using to, to do it generally can become useless for you. Okay. That happens on uh, Cliff uh, Cliff High's um, stuff. You know who you know Cliff High is, eh? No. Wasn't he writes that WebBot thing and does a linguistic analysis of the web to forecast probabilities about the future? Well, his stuff can backfeed on him if he says certain things. It backfeeds back into his data and I, I, makes it useless. You've lost me now. I don't even know what he's talking about. Uh, Gloria, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. You know, you had mentioned a couple of comments from Trudeau, but I would like to to um, just read three small ones, the sentences about uh, Trudeau and what he really thinks of us as Canadians and Canada. And uh, we'll start off with this. There is no core identity, and this goes into what you were talking about. There's no mm-hmm. core identity or mainstream in Canada. Those qualities are what makes us uh, the the first post-national state, and this was uh, said by Trudeau in uh, 2015. Then the other one, another one is, uh, he's talking about um, Canada. The very concept of a nation founded by European settlers is offensive to me. Is, isn't that just I, Okay, where did he arrogant? say that one? Um. This is when Trudeau was asked, that was in, um, let me see, I'm trying to see That's that. a new one to me, and I've in heard most In 2017. Um, is there a link that you're able yes, to email me? Yes, there is. Yes. yes, I can do that. Yeah, can you what, email what me that email? link? Uh, beyondthenews at cfra.com. I'm just writing this down. News at, at cfra.com. Because that's a new one to me, and I, mm-hmm. I collect a lot of his loopier quotes, and, yeah. and that would be up there. Yes. But, you know, this is a guy, uh, we have no values, we, we, no, have, we exactly. have no core identity, except apparently abortion. No, no and, and listen to the, the end of it. He, he calls us old stock, white Canadians are an unpleasant relic, and quite frankly, replaceable, and we will replace them. Arrogance. Unbelievable. Okay, that that quote I can't actually believe unless I see it. Okay, uh, absolutely. What, what, what's the it's, source it's on something him, like that? Yeah, he, it's it's over. He's he's a picture, and he's and he's got his best serious look that he's probably yeah. practiced for. But hours. I, I'm just but wondering if that's a, if that's a, a made up quote or or something that uh, is. It's in, quota- it's in quotation. Yeah, but too. some somebody could have made it up. Looks, 
Uh, Evan Solomon was taking calls on on the gun legislation today, and somebody mm-hmm. called up and claimed that there is a uh, a Muslim exemption for mm-hmm. having your picture on your gun license. It oh, really? there's not, and I know who started it. I used to work with her, and oh. and I explained to her three times that that's not mm-hmm. the case. Uh, that that's a lie, uh, okay. but but it's out I there, understand. and so um, uh, that that's why I'm always. Yeah. yeah, that was that was. I mean, I I did get it off Facebook and okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, Facebook. <laughs> yes. um, and then the last one that really um, is is uh, quote, uh, quote and I've heard him say that is honor killings should never be called barbaric. Yeah. You know? Oh, uh, yeah. No, that yeah. that yeah. that was uh, accurate. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember the exact quote. And if somebody made, even if that's a paraphrase, it's accurate enough. Uh, that's what he said. Yeah, and, right on. and this guy is. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's coming right out of left field. I mean, we're, we're last on the list. We're only revenue tools, but right. and also revenue I, tools for Kathleen as well. Oh yes, and how uh, I'd like to ask Mister Goodell one question: mm-hmm. How many crimes have been committed by registered gun order owners? You know what I mean? Well, and it's not zero, but it's not what uh, it's it, not what Ralph would have you believe. No, it's I mean, by far the, the the greatest majority of crimes are committed by those with illegal guns. Mm-hmm. You know, All right. and we need let's have some facts and figures from from Mr. Scary uh, uh, Goodales. And one thing I would just end as saying, if you don't mind, Trudeau to me he's he's a great danger to Canada and all Canadians, and he's with his hidden agenda. And I, and, and I, I don't. I got to run. Him. Well past time. Thanks for the call, Gloria. Thank you. All right, we'll get back. Apparently, a flood of calls at last minute uh, due to what Gloria said. So, <laughs> we'll we'll try and get to everyone's calls when we come back. side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Rick in Ottawa, you're beyond, on Beyond the News, one of many people fired up after Gloria's call. Yeah, so what Gloria or what you said about people calling in and saying to Evan Solomon that there is a there's a, a um, that a picture is not required for a Muslim, and I don't know whether it's true or not. But about two years ago, um, one of the gun lobby, one of the gun groups I'm on, brought it up, and the lady actually called the CFC and said, "Oh, you know, I'm Muslim. Do I need the picture?" And she said, "Oh, let's look." And in fact, she did uh, not, and needed okay. a, needed a let, letter from her cleric. Or let, let, and let or me that. explain what this is because it's been portrayed, including by somebody that I know. As a Muslim exemption, it's not. Okay. Uh, okay. If you know about Islam, they do not have a problem having their photos taken. Okay. Uh, there is, however, a group called the Hutterite Brethren. They went all the way to the Supreme Court to stop um, uh, an, or get an exemption from an Alberta law mm-hmm. that had the exemption for years. And then a few years ago, Alberta said, no, everyone has to have their photo on their driver's license. This is a small Christian sect that believes it, that they can't have their photos taken. 
the the exemption for not having a photo due to religious reasons was put in for them okay. in the 1990s. Okay. And, and now it is being used by people with an agenda to say this is a Muslim exemption. There was a story on this about this time last year, mm-hmm. and I ended up at an event with the Canadian Shooting Sports Association who were furious that this was being put out there. So it, there is an exemption. There is an exemption. Okay. It's not a Muslim it's exemption. It's not a Muslim. Okay. Okay. Well, clarified. But yeah. that's the, that, that, and therein lies one of the biggest problems with this, with that, in that the POW, now I, I buy and sell guns. I'm, a, I'm an avid shooter, and I will not sell a gun to someone that, A, I can't talk to or, or, or somehow con, uh, um, converse with, either by email or what have you. But if I sell a gun, I want to see a picture of them, and I want to see a picture of their POW. Yeah, well, I mean, this, this is a remote group up in northern Alberta okay. that you're probably not going to be. You're not going to find them online. Thanks for the call, I Rick. I don't think so. Bye. All right, let's go to uh, Jeff calling in about Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Uh, Got to go quick, Jeff. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Good. Um I just wanted to refer to you made a point about uh, Randolph Hearst and Mark Zuckerberg. And in Randolph Hearst's case, uh, he had the money, the power. Fortunately, his daughter was on the front pages of his newspapers. And in Zuckerberg's case, according to the movie, he stole from his buddies. And at the end of the day, as we stand here now, it, uh, he's coming before a commission, apparently a British commission or something like that. Is the that Brits right? want to speak to him. The members of Congress want to speak to him. Everybody does. And it's yeah, uh, and it's, it, like, it's uh, fascinating that they're ups- upset about it now, but they loved it in 2012 when it helped Obama win. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, at the end of the day, he, it just simply Facebook created a reality social virus and seemingly the way it's gone. And uh, what more can you say? It is what it is, right? Uh, Facebook, like I said earlier, it's not a bug. It's not a mistake, Jeff. It's a feature. This is how Facebook was built. This is how it operates. Um, you know, people getting upset. It's like being upset that the scorpion stung you. Maybe you just didn't realize you were riding with a scorpion. That wraps the show for tonight. Thanks for everyone that called, participated, listened, enjoyed, commented. Keep tweeting me out there. Four million, folks. Four million. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And, of course, you can check out com for all the things I write and post in between. com. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side. <laughs>